You're listening to a DM podcast. All right, guys, my special guest today is Willie Poaching. Willie is a former professional rugby league player who has led quite the journey. His career started in Auckland, New Zealand, and took him to both Australia and the UK. In the Australian competition, he played 35 first grade games for the Auckland Warriors, North Queensland Cowboys, Hunter Mariners, and St. George Dragons. He really left his mark on the rugby league world in England. He played 221 first grade games starting at Wakefield before switching to the Leeds Rhinos. He became a fan favourite at both clubs, and he actually won a premiership with the Rhinos in 2004. Willie's also represented Samoa in six tests across two World Cups in 95 and 2000. Post-footy, he's successfully transitioned into coaching. He's currently assistant head, sorry, assistant, assistant first-grade coach at Hull KR. He's also been assistant at Salford, Warrington, and Leeds. Welcome to the podcast, Willie Poaching. Willie, welcome, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having us. Mate, stellar intro, real good one. But let's start yeah. at the, let's start at the start. I want to know a little bit more because obviously yep. Samoa is obviously your heritage. So tell me a little bit yep. about your family, man. Yeah, well, my, my dad's family moved over uh, when he was quite young mm. to New Zealand. Um, my grandmother, there was seven of them, seven kids. Wow! And uh, my grandmother wanted to. To move across um, the early fifties, I think, um, just for a better life for her kids and herself, and so uh, you know, it's one of those where I look back and a little bit of my my journey trying to come over here and make it. You know, to do it with seven kids was a remarkable feat. You know, to not know anything about the country and not speak the language. Mm. Even more so. So, yeah, that's how my dad ended up in New Zealand. Um, he was a sprinter. He was an athlete when he was a young fella. Um, the guy that was in, in charge of his athletic club and his athletic his sprint coach was actually in charge of a rugby league club as well. Okay. So he was the one that recruited my dad to go and try and play rugby league and thus the introduction for my whole family, for my uncles and my cousins uh, they all went on to play for the Marist Rugby League Club in Auckland. Yeah, um, there you go. It was only it was only a, a matter of time before we did the same, myself and my brother. So we we followed in their footsteps. Um, so that was how I started in rugby league and how my family started. My mum moved across with her family when she was fifteen. Yep. Uh, to New Zealand, and then obviously mum and dad met and two Samoan families. Uh, in those days, in the early times of the islanders moving to New Zealand, mm. the populace lived around town, lived around Auckland City. Like central like, central Auckland. Really central, really yeah, central. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, Eden Terrace, Newton, Greyland. Uh, yeah, David Solomon is from Greyland. Oh, he's from Greyland? Yeah. Yeah, Dave's family, Dave's whole family, and a lot of them are still in Greyland. So we were the same, and um, my grandfather ended up moving our family out towards Mount Eden, but my mum's family stayed in Ponsonby the whole time okay. and spent a lot of our time there. Now we see mum and dad met, had a family, and yeah, we grew up um, in Auckland. Um, at that time, my mum and dad bought a house out way out west, which was a little bit cheaper. But yep. Yeah, we we migrated back into into town. It was uh, a little bit closer to the rest of the family. Yeah, mate, it's good to hear that. You, yeah, it's good to hear you guys are rugby league through and through because. <laughs> In New Zealand, like I speak to a lot of my guests that come from there, rugby unions mm-hmm. are, is a religion. 
And yeah. for you guys to be able to set your own path into different sports, that, that's pretty cool. And that's something I like to hear because, like, rugby league doesn't get the raps it deserves in New Zealand, in, in my opinion. No, I, I remember. I must have been nine years old and my dad went to – we went to the sh- to a shoe shop to get some boots. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't anti-rugby union, not at all. But I I was always strong that we had a diff- we were different. We weren't rugby union, we were rugby league. And I said to the guy, I need some boots. And the guy said, oh, some rugby boots. There's some rugby league boots. Rugby <laughs> league, what's that? What's rugby league? <laughs> I was like, pardon me. So even back then, um, rugby league was uh, almost unknown. Um, and whoever knew about it, it was frowned upon. Yep. It was it wasn't amateur, it wasn't the game. There was still that stigma with it until until they started broadcasting it, until State of Origin came on TV and that's when it really became an acceptable game and a game of entertainment value that people would watch. Yeah. Actually, who did you go for, mate, New South Wales or Queensland? Queensland. Is this because of Mao and Artie? No, because uh, no, everyone at school was a, were Blues supporters. Okay, so you want to do the opposite. Yeah, same reason why I became a Raiders fan. <laughs> I, um, I went to a school called Mount Albert Grammar. Yeah. And I, was like, oh, I can't remember what things. I want to say 87. Manly Canberra. Oh, the grand, the grand final. final. Yeah, yeah, the SCG. Daryl Williams played for Manly. Manly, yep. Darrell Williams played for Mount Albert. So a lot of our kids at school went played for Man Albert and they all went for Manly because of Daryl Williams. Daryl, yeah. And because I didn't play for Man Albert, I said, oh, buggy years, I'm going for Canberra. <laughs> oh, I stuck with the Raiders ever since. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit so they're both the same. Because everybody else at school went for the blues and I went for Queensland, they all went for Manly, I went for the Raiders. Nice. Mate, did you head down to Carlock Park much when you were growing up? All the time. I was a ball boy there. For your dad? Uh, no, I was a ball boy for – I started off with Maris as a ball boy, but then I was a ball boy for Carlow Park. I used okay. to go down every Saturday and Sunday. Did you get paid? Uh, like, what did you get? they give you a free feed? Uh, I think I got about – I got about five bucks a game. Nice. That's big money yeah. back then. Yeah, I, I, I could walk home with 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, if, I, if there were Saturday games, I could end up with 30 bucks. Uh, I remember doing test matches. Used to get 15, 15 bucks for a for a test match. Wow! And I, I, that was the best times. They were the best times. Just we had a we had a little cupboard. Just as the teams walked out yeah. out the tunnel, there was a little cupboard that went under the stand. And we used to get changed there. I always made sure the door was open and watch all these players walk past. You know, the Mel Meningas and Wally Fullerton Smiths, the Wally Lewises. Even when teams like Winner Manly used to come over or Queensland Country and that's, see all these That's priceless. That's priceless. Oh, you can't buy that. You couldn't man. buy a ticket, mate. Yeah. Well, yeah, when the Great Britain touring team came over, I remember being devastated. It was the only time I was devastated. Uh, all I wanted to do was meet Ellery Hanley. Yeah, he didn't come. He stayed home. He didn't play. Oh, there. no. He stayed in the hotel. And I'm like, Where is he? Where is he? Where's Ellery? <laughs> so, no, he didn't come. But, yeah, that was Precious. Now, those memories that I have, I feel so fortunate to have that. And it breaks my heart now to see Carlow Park in the way it is, but I understand that the game's moved out to Mount Smart. But, yeah, the memories I have of Carlow Park and running the sand on for the kickers. Yeah. Um, 
remember used to have a bit of a relationship with guys like Peter Brown. Yep. He was the goal kicker then. Yeah, am I going to get it now? Am I going to get it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then all those sort of things, those sort of memories. And then I ended up, when I left school, I ended up working for Auckland Rugby League as a development officer. Okay, nice. So I was based down there. That became my place of work. And I, my job was to go around schools in the main and, and do the development stuff. But when there was no schools, I'd work with the groundsmen. So over the summer when there was the schools were off, yeah, I'd be working on the grounds and, and that was a buzz. That was a buzz just to be around Carlo and you know get to know the place inside out. Yeah, big time, mate. You know you just mentioned uh, brownie and obviously goal kicking the the old bucket. You know I used to do it when I was yeah. growing up as well, mate. And you even kicked in first grade. Who taught you to goal kick, Will? Uh, oh, I can't really say. Who taught me? Um. We used to have a great kicker at, at Maris when I was a ball boy there. His name was Bob Essex. Okay. Fullback. And he was a fantastic kicker. And I always thought, oh, I'd love to kick like him. And it was just through watching people, I yep. suppose. Just so around the corner? Well, toe. Toe poker. On toe poker, Mel Meninga style to start with. And, uh, you know, Terry Madison, that sort of style. Mate, can you still believe they used to do that? Like, I'll, I'll try and show my kids. It's um, it's crazy. It it makes no <laughs> sense. You're literally hoping a ball travels on a straight path. That's all you. you yeah. That's all you're hoping for. And when I watch some of those games now, I just like, how did he get it? Like Mel Meninga kicking in some of the, the atrocious weather on Kangaroo tours over here. Yeah. Kicking from the touchline. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> they just and got the ball heavy as. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The leather ball. The leather balls are heavy as. So yeah, I, I uh, progressed to to round the corner probably at eighteen, and then started practicing, doing all that stuff. And yeah, it's obviously it's what everyone does now. Yeah, mate. Were you a forward when you were coming through? Uh, I started as a halfback up until about fourteen, and then moved to hooker. Okay, so that that shows where the ball skills came from, then. Yeah, and then sort of got tall, and my dad said, "You're too tall to play in the halves." Yeah, okay. Did he coach he you? Those, he did. He did for a long time when we were younger. Nice. And he, he was one of those traditionalists, you know. Was he fellas was, was he tough on you because he was your dad as as well? He had moments when he was tough on us. Yeah, but I saw it was tougher on him. I saw how tough it was for him to coach us. Yeah. Not be biased. That's what I mean. It would be so difficult. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I always said to my wife, I I won't coach my kids. I'll help. Mm. I'll help their coaches to coach their teams, but I, I can't coach them. I can't be their coaches. Because we saw so so Yeah, we saw so Just I'm imagine. Dad too. Yeah. I'm sure at times that there's probably games that, I'm not sure were you captain. You might have deserved to be captain, and he didn't want to give you the captaincy. Like, what was that? Were you ever captain? Yeah, all the way through. Yeah, but you were probably the, were you probably the best. You probably a lead, you had leadership qualities. Like, but I can imagine not every son is going to have leadership qualities, and it might be a tough decision. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, like, sure, for sure. And um, does he start me every week? Yeah. Oh, so. Yeah, I, I saw him go through that. He coached my older brother for a bit and then ended up coaching my teams. But 
yeah, I'll treasure those times forever. And oh, I've, sure. I, I take a lot of what I learned from him into my coaching today. Okay. So he's one of the biggest influences on your coaching career then. That's a yeah. huge influence. On my, on my leadership, but more so my philosophy on the game. Yeah. It was more because, you know, back in the day, it was a little bit less, you know, before we were talking about the stuff you do now with your video work. Back in the day, there's no video work. There's not even no. VHS. So no. I feel that you maybe have to be a little bit more personal. Is that kind of the side that you've, you've picked up from your dad? Yeah. Yeah. But he, one thing I I remember now, and my mum's still got a lot of the stuff, he documented everything. What, everything? Yeah. Trainings. Wow. Uh, he's, he had books for every season, notebooks, big A4 notebooks on uh, almost diaries. Okay, today we're playing so and so on this date. Yeah. This is the team. This is the subs. This is when this sub went on. This is who scored the tries. This wow. is who scored how many goals. Total points, everything for the season. He he kept everything. He kept a note of it all. And I'm not as detailed as he is. <laughs> but yeah, I I try and keep notes because I understand the importance of reflection and going back and having a look at stuff and having that opportunity to recall. But, yeah, he was really detailed. Yeah. Are you a note writer? Because I can't get the technology, mate. I've got an iPad. It's hardly used. I'm pen and paper. Yeah, same. I just I'm get it more, eh? Yeah. 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 It's old school, but it's the best, mate. I don't know if these fat thumbs are too slow on the phone or <laughs> whatever it is. I just, I just find it better to scribble than write and – um, Tony Smith taught me something a long time ago. Coaching, when you're writing notes, use a pencil. You're going to keep rubbing the stuff out and scribbling out, so just use a pencil, which, yeah, that's something else I do. Yeah. You know, with Tony, you know, because obviously he coached you during your career when you mm-hmm. were playing, and then obviously he's head coach where you're working now. Yep. How much has he changed as a coach from when you were playing to when you're actually assisting him now? To me, yeah, or uh, yeah, actually changed. Um, yeah, he was a it wasn't much different to when I immediately went to play for because I went straight from playing to a staff at Leeds. Mm. Um, but I had a fairly decent relationship with him as a player, and we could both be honest, mm. and that wasn't any different when I went to coach. And in fact, it was more really helpful in my infancy when I was coaching 21s and trying to cut my teeth that way. And then he left for three years and we didn't work together. He was working for England and then he went to Warrington. Mm. It wasn't until I went to Warrington that I saw a change in him. Yeah. That I saw a more relaxed Tony, a more comfortable coach. Not more comfortable, just a different relaxed coach. No, he, he rode the reins hard at Leeds and we needed it at the time. Mm. We needed that structure. We needed that that strong voice to guide us through. And we were all better for that. Yeah. And I, th- I sort of, I think when he went to Warrington, he's sort of let the gas out of the tank a little bit. And, you know, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. And he, he, he sort of took a different approach. Yeah. Whilst also being strong when he had to be, being honest when he had to be. But, yeah, he wasn't so rigid 
and his and his ways and and how he was perceived by the players. Yeah, has that changed your approach at all to the players? <laughs> like over time, um, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you don't have to. How can I? How can I put it? I, I was. And I suppose a lot of coaches are you're quite strict and anal about everything. Yeah. You know, when when you first start, when you sort of learn a bit more about yourself and you have a bit more belief in your philosophies and how to get those messages across and how they work, you know, you become more accepting that if they don't, to try a different way. Yep. Or, you know, the biggest thing about coaching that I've learned is uh, just because it doesn't work one way with someone doesn't mean it's wrong. Yeah. You may just have to restructure it and resell it a, a different way. So, yeah, I've, I've learned a bit of that from Smithy and, and the different times that we've had. And, yeah, you're always trying to evolve and, and change as a coach and keep bettering yourself in any way you can. So, yeah, that that's probably one way that I've changed. Yeah, beautiful. Now, Willie, I've read a couple of things on the internet, so I need to confirm these. Now, the first one was that when you were coming through that the Brisbane Broncos tried to sign you. Is this true? No. So that's false. I went to Brisbane. Oh, you actually went to, what, play footy in yeah, Brisbane? Yeah, I, I signed for the Warriors. They came into the comp 95. I signed in 93. Yep. Towards the end of 93. So John Maney said to, said to me, I want you to go to Aussie. In '94, yeah, I want you to learn in a in a Winfield Cup environment. I want you to work with a Winfield Cup team. So I'm going to send you over to Aussie. So I'm not sure yet where to go. And I thought I was going to go to Manly for some reason, but Ian Robson, the chief exec, and John Maney put their heads together. And John had a friendship with Wayne Bennett. Okay. And originally it was going to be myself and Joe Vangana. Big Joe. We were both, yeah, because we're best mates. Yeah. They thought we'll send you together. Yep. But towards uh, towards us going, getting closer to go, Joe pulled the pin. That's how I'm not going to go. Yeah. So I'll buggy, I'm, I'm going to go still. And they ended up sending another young fellow by the name of Gus Mulliator Brown. Okay. So Gus came across with me. And it was just a year to, to learn about what it takes to play in that environment and to train under that sort of coaching, that calibre of player. Um, let's say it was 94. So they're coming off a premiership, right? They won in 93. Yeah. Yeah. They won, they won the premiership the year before. So you got people like Lazarus, the Walters brothers, Alfie, yep. Mark Hone, Jared Allen, um, Willie Carr, Michael Hancock, all around. Julian O'Neill, those sort of players. And yeah, it was it was an awesome year to learn. Um and apply my trade. And I I played twenty ones for most of the year. Yep. Um and then I got a couple of cracks at first grade. I made reserve grade. Played reserve grade down in Newcastle. Yep. <laughs> and it was cold and wet and we I think we won reserve grade in first grade we're getting beaten. It was like it was those days when the first grade used to name two on the bench. Yeah, and they see yeah, yeah. the whole heap of used from reserve grade to sit on. <laughs> yep. So it was the first time 
first time the manager had come to me after reserve grade and said, here's your jersey, sitting on. Wow. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, well, buzzing. I was just buzzing to do that. Yeah, mate. So with about 10 minutes to go, a whole lot of the other blokes on the bench from reserve grade said, oh, we're going for a shower, we're not going to get on. So I knew we had one one or two subs left. So I said, see as I'm sitting here, I'm waiting. Anyway, Wayne Bennett says to the trainer, get Andrew G off. So I'm looking around, there's no one else about. Willie, <laughs> so you're going to go off for Andrew G. So heart starts going, heart goes, trainer goes on. There's about a minute and a half to go. I'm on the sideline. And then I get a call from Wayne Bennett, Willie, Willie. Oh, come and sit down. We're not going to make the change. Oh no! Oh, devastated, devastated. All I wanted was one minute. When I when I left home to go that year, my goal was to have one minute in first grade. But that was as close as I came. But yeah, it was it was a massive year for learning for me. And uh, I remember at the end of the season, Wayne said, "Look, I'm I'm happy. I'd be happy for you to stay here mm. and play." But that was the time that Ruben Wiki was going through a contract. Oh, yeah, uh, split with, yeah, with the Raiders and the Warriors. Yep. And Wayne didn't want another one of those. So he said, look, go back to Auckland, go back. And yeah, it was, it was never to be, but it was, a, it was a fantastic year for me learning on the field and an amazing year off the field is when I met my wife. Yeah, well, I think, well, things happen for a reason, right? So Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Just- I had a great time in 2004, but no, I never – Never got an, an offer to, to sign for them. <laughs> but you came through because you played what two years of junior Kiwis, right? And yep. you're, you're also captain, right, on the second year? Is that correct? Second year, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 92. So, you know, you just mentioned obviously Joe Vanganala, one of your best friends. And then obviously yep. around the traps, you must have also known Nige and then David Solomon. Yep. Like, did you all yeah, play in that same team? We all grew up around the same area. Yeah. Um, um, Joe and Nigel lived around Greyland as well. Yeah. When I lived in Ponsonby, and we were all at different primary schools, but we all knew each other. Yeah, was Sunday yeah. was Sundays big for you guys in terms of religion and faith and that sort of things as well? Yeah, for my family. Yeah, for my family. Church was, days. Yeah, really yep. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I wasn't a big church. It wasn't. Nah, you got to escape go. a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. I was a bit reluctant. I'd go, but reluctantly. You were just there for the feeds after, aren't you, mate? Yeah, for the biscuits. <laughs> first one, first last one in, first one out. <laughs> Mate, but you know, coming back from Brisbane, what was the kind of you know first year? Obviously, Warriors coming into the competition. You know, obviously, development structures and all that sort of things must be totally different to a team at Brisbane that had been in the comp for how many years now? They've won a couple of competitions, been in the comp six or seven years. Was it a totally different sort of way that they kind of treated those young players coming through? Uh, felt like felt like there for a little bit. Anyone that was decent, the Warriors were signing. Yeah, okay. You know, we had, we had a huge squad of players. You know, from from the twenty ones all the way through. There's a team photo with about seventy blokes on it. <laughs> Is this at the island? Did you go to the island when they booked it out? No, that was a little bit after me. After I left, I. I did a year there in the end, and the first year was just a ridiculous time. Yeah. Looking back on it, just the hype surrounding the club and the team and you know, just 
the energy around town was amazing for me. And I've told you how I grew up mm. with hardly anybody knowing. Well, for that year, everybody knew what rugby league was. Everybody knew what the Warriors And I couldn't have been prouder. Yeah. Couldn't have been prouder as a rugby league person that our game had grown to this point. And obviously now it's a, it's a, it's a game that's that'll I don't think it will ever challenge rugby union mm. in New Zealand, um, but it has come a long way and it, it's making a big stand. Yeah, it's good to see the boys really putting up a fight this year too. Like the adversity they have to go without their family and friends from back home, playing an entire season away from home, struggle in Terrigal, like yeah. by themselves. I think it could be the making of the next sort of wave of this, you know, that, that hard mentality coming back. You know what I mean? They've missed it for a while, but I think this is really going to be the making of the next surge of the Warriors. For sure, and I hope so. I hope so. I'd, I hope we get back to some normality where they're able to play in Auckland again next year. Mm. And there's whispers that they may be based in Australia or next season as well. Just all but, depends, doesn't it? Yeah, so. the resilience that they've showed, especially – when they've lost people like Mamalu and Fusatua, um, uh, Blake Green, yep. everyone thought, and I, I was probably the same, that there was going to be a bit of a capitulation, but it's almost been the making of some of those young fellas. Mm. You know, young Harris Tavita has really stepped up and it's given people an opportunity, and this, and this is what adversity does sometimes. Yeah, but it's like you, you mate. Know. You know, you moved away from home for a year to, to go to Brisbane. It, it's a similar sort of scenario, like to get put out of your comfort zone. You're not going yep. back for a year either. Learn yep. under a different structure, learn in Australian conditions. They're, yep. gonna, they're definitely going to be better for this, mate. And they're adding some – they've added a good coach in Nathan Brown. Phil yep. Gould's going to be overseeing it. And they've signed some really nice, nice handy players from Australia as well. So it's, yeah. it's like we talked about before about getting that – maybe that, you know, you said before, you had 70 players at the start. You signed all of them, so you just need to make sure you keep your best kids too. That's right. And the tough thing for the Warriors is they can't keep hold of everyone. Mm. Can't keep every kid in New Zealand. So some are going to slip through, and you're always going to have your Peter Hickers who go across and make a name for themselves in Australia. And yeah. Everyone's going to come back. Now. How did he get through? How did we miss him? Well, you can't have everyone. You're just going to make the best out of what you keep. Mm. what you have and like you say I'm sure Browning and Gus will, will try and do that yeah mate there was a, there was a kid the other day Paul Turner who played I'm not sure if you watched the game against yeah, the Bulldogs oh my god how good is that kid yeah out of nowhere so you know had it not been for Blake Green going would he get an opportunity no. would know the kid no. and then the same as like Harris Tavita he stepped up ever since Greeny left as well so again he was sitting behind Greeny so now he's got his opportunity to really oh, take that that seven. They could still have Sean Johnson. Yeah, I think that was probably you know, the mistake that they made. Been even longer and longer for their chance. Yeah, but yeah, I'm so, I'm really proud of what the Warriors have been able to do of late, mm. and Lillian Steve showing. And I agree. I think it could have some uh, long-standing benefits for them. Big time, mate. You know, you talked about obviously the pride of that first season. How many tickets did you have to get to your family and friends on a weekly basis? Yeah, oh, yeah quite up. a few. Yeah. Quite a few, <laughs> None more so than that first game. 
the, the game against he played the against Broncos. Brisbane, yeah. I remember. The Friday Friday night footy, game. right? Yeah. Yeah, that was well, just I've never been so nervous before a game. Just because of the hype and it's a bit like uh it's a bit like when you when you play uh, when you win a grand final over here yeah. and you've got the World Club challenge coming up. Mm. That's your focus through preseason. Yeah. Oh well, a big part of it. You know, you've got that team coming up. You've got this big game to start the season. Well, that's what it was like. We've got Brisbane. Everything <laughs> was focused on Brisbane. We've got the Broncos coming up. So it was huge, yeah. Uh, 15 tickets, 20 tickets. Nice. <laughs> <coughs> so, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad everyone was able to be there and enjoy the spectacle that was. Mm. Willie, for you, you know, that being your kind of your first first grade season, what was it like to be around kind of the older guys, like the guys like Brandy and Dennis Betts, all those sort of – some of these guys are some of the best players that we have seen play yep. rugby league. What yep. were those blokes like early days? Yeah, good, great, fantastic for me. I was – this is what I'll be honest. I was loose. Yeah. I was loose. Off, off the field, was, is that what we mean? Yeah, yeah. I was loose. Off, looser than I should have been. And – you know, having people like Brandy and Phil Blake, Dean Bell, yep. you know, they were really important to keeping us as straight as we, we could have been. That was a big time for us off the field and uh, we we took too much advantage of it at times and that's probably my biggest regret. Looking back on that time for me, I didn't put as much focus on the field as I should have, but I had learned a lot about being a – being a pro mm. and how to conduct yourself from those sort of people. Um, um, Phil Blake again, Brandy, Dwayne Mann, uh, Sean Hoppy, yep. those sort of people. Stephen Kearney, um, who I played with in the Junior Kiwis, again, he's, he's just an ultimate professional. And, you know, when I left the Warriors, it broke my heart, but I look back at the mistakes that I made and I can always fall back to those messages and those lessons that I learned off those players, those senior blocks. Yeah. Did you nearly have to pinch yourself? Because you were a ball boy, like literally only a few years yeah. before that, and some of these blokes were playing at Carlow Park. Yeah. Did, yep. did it feel yeah. weird kind of sometimes seeing him around? It feels weird now. Yeah. It feels weird now when I see old kangaroo tour replays and Brandy's playing. <laughs> I'm, and my son's like, you played with him, eh? <laughs> you um, old bastard. That's what he says to you, doesn't he? Right? He kind of goes, you yeah. old bastard. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I still pinch myself today, and I did then too. I, I did pinch myself, and that was probably part of it. I enjoyed being around them yeah. rather than being – a teammate and and a fellow player and, and conducting myself in a manner that that player should have done rather than I may have had a little bit of a fan eye in the back of me. Yeah. How long did that take to get out of your system in terms of your whole career? That year. Yeah. And that was it. No more fanboy after that. No. No. Oh, look, I was I still buzzed around when I uh, – the next year I went and played for the Mariners. I got to the Mariners and I – 
my first training session. Mm. Uh, I was stretching next to next to Neil Pinzonelli. Yeah. And Pinzonelli is talking to me, and I was Pinzonelli, hey, we're, gonna, we're fighting for a spot here. We're fighting together. So, yeah, that, that fan in me sort of left when the Warriors gave me that kick up the butt. Yeah. What was – you had Graham Murray at the Hunter Mariners. Blessed yep. to have a coach like him. What was he like? Awesome. Fantastic for team spirit and morale and camaraderie and what we needed in Newcastle. Uh, we, we had some great times. The first year before the loss of the, the initial court case, mm. we did a, every team in, in the Super League did a Pacific tour. Yep. We played two games in two different islands. So we played, we played the Bulldogs and the Cook Islands, and it was it was a drink fest. It was a drink fest. Just a piss up. Wow. I think, I think the game was Saturday. We trained Thursday morning, and we did like a, a little bit of an Ironman on the beach yep. of the resort we were staying at. And there was an Eskie, and Mother's was like, all right, boys, that's it. We've had enough fun. No more drinking. All right, let's just knuckle down now and get ready for the game. We've got this triathlon, this Ironman we're going to do. So we're sweet, did that. All right, boys, go get a drink. Open the Eskie, more beers. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Here we go. And that was Muzz. Muzz was fantastic. And it was what we needed. We are a team of ragtags that were thrown together. It was a newly made News Corp team in Newcastle. Yeah. Then obviously the the court case was lost and we all had to disperse and we all had to find another club. Yeah. And then when we came back for pre-season before 97, uh, obviously a small town like Newcastle, there's the Knights and now there's this new team, the Mariners, and we were just hated. We were hated. In so town. if you went out to a pub and stuff, would people put shit on you? Yeah, some would. Yeah. Some would. Um, not, everyone thought the players, there was an animosity between the two playing groups. Not at all. Mm. Players ourselves, we all got on with them and they got on with us. And, but Muzz, Muzz had this thing, we were going to win the public over. We're going we're gonna to win this town over. We're going to go to a different pub after every training on Tuesdays. <laughs> so every Tuesday we go to a pub. We're going to We're going to go to the people. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm guessing there was no training on Wednesday. No, no, definitely not. Yeah, first couple of Tuesdays, a bit tentative, and then they just went raucous. <laughs> so the the best social team I've ever been involved with, Hunter Mariners, um, and and Muzzle was a big one for that, for bringing unity and bringing the team together. Now we. We made it to the World Club Challenge final. You did. You know, it was in Auckland, right? Quality players, but Muzz, Muzz bringing the team together and the spirit that we had was a big part of that. Yeah. Well, then we're getting it right. The World Club Challenge final was in Auckland, correct? Yeah, we played the Broncos in Auckland. Yeah. But you had a, you had a not bad team. You had Brett Kamali came from nowhere. He became a superstar. Yep. Scotty Scotty Hill. Yeah. No golfer well, couldn't even make your team. Goldie kicked the field goal for, for New, New South, South Wales. Wales to beat Queensland and win the Tri-Series. So Muzz said, well, I'll give you the weekend off. That was midweek. I'll give you the weekend off. I'll play Brett Kamali. Yeah. Brett Kamali never got dropped again. Mm. 
and ended up playing for Australia that year. Yeah, and then he wins yeah. the premiership in '99, two years later. So yeah, yeah. No, we had a great side. We had a really good team. Yeah, Ro- Robbie, Robbie Ross, Ross play. Yeah, Robbie Ross. Yeah, Robbie Ross play fullback. Johnny Carlo, Kevin Iro, was then Neil Pincinelli. Uh, yeah, uh, Tony Iro. Yeah, Paul Marquette. Yeah, great team. Great team. Great yeah. fellas. Oh, mate, I think you were just a couple of years. Just imagine they didn't kick you out of the comp. Like, obviously, Hunter, when they brought back in our rules. As a... we, we, beat, we beat Wigan in the quarterfinal at Wigan at Central Park. We just had a feeling. We, we sort of knew that the end was coming for the club. Yeah. Um, whilst it wasn't said, we sort of knew that the writing was on the wall, whether we were going to all relocate to Melbourne or they were going to move the franchise to the Gold Coast. We weren't too sure, but we knew it was the Mariners as we knew it was coming to an end. Mate, there should have been a closed behind closed door game between you and the Knights because they were the premiers, obviously, <laughs> ARL. How good would that oh, be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they killed it that year. Did they? What? How'd you end up? Because Saint, you played at St. George the following year. Yep. How'd we you- ended up. I ended up going to St. George when the Mariners closed down. Yeah. So I only had a year left on my news court deal, on my Super League deal. And uh, Tim Sheens said they couldn't take us up there. And my agent just ended up getting myself and Keithy Beauchamp to St. George. Um, So we went there for the year. And, um, yeah, it was was just an opportunity to carry on playing Mm. and try and get myself a contract. But... Yeah, I missed all of preseason, so I was behind it to start with, and then I got injured in a preseason game uh, in Grafton, I think. Yeah, and then I missed the first couple of weeks of the, the season, so it was yeah, it was a really tough start for myself, anyway. But yeah, was a uh, I'm grateful for St George giving me the opportunity, mm. but it was that was when I realised that. My wife got pregnant again that year, so we'd, we'd already had one. Yep. And so we had gone Brisbane, Auckland, Newcastle for a couple of months, North Queensland, back to back to Newcastle, to Sydney. The young family on the way, and I said, "Look, we we can't keep doing this with the mm. young family and keep relocating, keep moving." Keep packing up. Said so if I go to England and we set ourselves up in one base, yep. I know England enough that we can travel to wherever the club is. We can sort of set our roots down in one place. So were you convinced at any stage, you know, you just said obviously you live at Wakey, but and it's close to a lot of different places. So at any stage were you convinced that because you played four different clubs in four years. So yep. there's a chance that you just become a journeyman. Yep. So you needed some stability, but at the same time, yep. in the back of your head, were you thinking, am I going to continue to be a journeyman? Yeah. Yeah, that was a big question that I had to ask myself. And I didn't have an offer from St. George for the year after. Mm. Like, this could be, all right, we're going to Townsville and I'm going to go play for Brothers or something. Yeah. Or I could go and carry on being a professional and go to England. So I spoke to my my agent and uh, with two games to go, 
well, what happened was two weeks before I left, Nathan Antonick and Sean Kim, uh, Shane Kimwood at St. George yep. had requested a chance and off an, uh, an opportunity to leave. Okay. Go to England. We all had the same manager, so they got uh, Nathan Ansack went to Keithley and Kenny went to Salford. And I'm still so George in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, if I get this get this deal, how am I gonna go in? Yeah. David Waite said, Look, nobody else is going, nobody else can go, I'm not live anymore. Oh shit. Anyway, I get a chance to go to Hunslet and Obviously, I've had to go into David Waite's office and say, look, I've got this chance to go. I've got no offer here. Can I go? And he was great with it. He was great. I thought he was going to turn me down flat, but he was great. He said, yeah, you can go. So I played at Hunslet for two weeks, and then fortunately for me, Wakefield got promoted, and they picked me up the next season. Nice. So where were Hunslet? Hunslet, were they in championship? <laughs> Hunslet were in the championship. Yeah. So you would have been carving up in the championship, wouldn't you? It was a different game. Yeah, I played on the night when when the Sharks played St George at Shark Park. It was some sort of centennial game or something like that. Both teams had different jerseys, and yep. it was a hot Friday night in Cronulla. And fantastic! I remember sitting there thinking, "This is awesome." Crowd packed, local derby. The next Friday. I'm sitting at Post Office Road in Featherston, coming off the bench. The, assist- the coach at Hunslet was a player coach, so he was on the wing. <laughs> the assistant coach around the subs, he comes to me and says, can you play prop? I'm like, I've just joined the team. I can't say no. Then whatever you need, mate, whatever you need. And I'm sitting there, and it's half drizzly. It's muddy as, for anyone that knows, Post Office Road in Featherston. It's on a slope like that. And I'm thinking, last Friday I was in, in Cronulla. Tonight I'm here. What's going on? What am I doing? Only rugby league, mate. Only in rugby um, league. Yeah. So I ended up playing those two games. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I got picked up by Wakey. yeah, things have uh, taken off from then. Yeah. What was it about Wakefield? Because you became a bit of a fan favourite those couple of years. They loved you. Uh, I can't really pinpoint anything. I, you know, they're a very work, about, they're a working class like town, but right, they're a very they're a very working class town, right? Very very working class town, very working class team. Yeah, um, they'd just been promoted, and I didn't know too much about the team or the area or the club. Mm. So when I came over here, everything that I'd read was they're going to be relegated again. They yeah. go down straight away. And I didn't know much about some of the guys they had signed other than Tony Ken and um, Adrian Brunker, yep. who came across with us. Um, so I was like, well, we've got nothing to lose. Mm. Then I learned a lot about the derby that we have with Castleford. Yeah. On our, on our first game, our first game there, we had, I think it was we lost by two points when everyone predicted we were going to lose by fifty. Yeah. So that was that was a good start for us and gave us a lot of confidence. But again, I talk about the derbies and the hate and the rivalry. I remember stopping through the game just before half time and looking in the corner of the stand 
and the fans are fighting in lumps. <laughs> oh, wow, this this is a rivalry. This is <laughs> this is a derby. Yeah. So I, that was my lesson into the Cass Wakey derbies and and the rivalry that they have. And then we went on to beat, I think, Salford the next week and went on a five-game winning run. Wow. Lost a couple, won another five or six. And we staved off rele- relegation with about a month to go. And, we, again, we just had desire, that spirit to work for each other. Andy Kelly did a great job with us that first year. And yep. uh, some of the guys, yeah, nobody knew them. So there was no expectations. We had a team of no reputations and we just went on to kill it. And fortunately for me, I had a, I had a pretty good season. Mm. Just, again, I probably put it back to the make or break situation that I had the year before. I, and being in a position where I was respectful and understand of the privilege that I had and being a professional, I just, not everyone gets to do this for a living. Yeah. Not everyone gets to do this. And, you know, I had a new respect for it. And I trained harder and worked harder. And as well as that, I had, I had a family to provide for. Yeah. Willie, how does it how does it make you feel? Because, you know, we spoke about you going from team to team, four teams in the NRL to start your career. And then obviously you start your breakthrough with Wakey. But then you get an approach from Leeds. And Leeds is a big club. Mm-hmm. Did that kind of finally make you feel like you really belonged in rugby league? Uh, I always felt I belonged in rugby league. So look, going back to my story, I'm always a rugby league person, but mm. belonging in the professional game, yeah. Um, I just love playing. I love playing the game. Yeah. I, I, I had aspirations to go as high as possible, but when I look back on it, I got what I wanted out of the game. Yeah. Because I loved it. I just love the career that I had. I love playing. If I was able to go play at big teams and play internationals, hey, it's well and good, fantastic, bonus. I just love playing the game. But I, I actually had an offer to go to Leeds the year before that I, the year before I actually went. Okay. And I had Gary Henderson come around home and sit down with us. And it was a season when Wakefield went into receivership. That's right, yep. I left and I had a couple of offers from different clubs. We had a, a group of young players. So what they did was they came into the office one day into the into the dressing room and said, anyone under 24 go downstairs, anyone over 24 go upstairs. Mm. How old were you at the time? 25, 26. Okay. So I went upstairs. Yep. They just told us, look, you guys are sacked, done, the guy's downstairs. Under 24, they've got one of their contracts. So we were all done. And the club had no money to keep us. So when I was talking to all these other clubs, and all these young fellas were stuck at Wakefield, they had to play. They had to sit by the club. I just felt an obligation to stick with them yeah, and help them out and get them through, even if it was for just one year. I ended up getting a three-year offer from Wakey and I ended up signing and I've learned that a lot of the other players older that lost their jobs, they were disappointed that I stayed and I sort of understand that. 
But I also felt an obligation, and you know, they gave me a three-year offer. Mm. So I had a, had a wife and two young boys, and you know, I had a family to provide for, so I had to put that at the forefront of my mind, and that was my priority. And then I stuck with them. Um, I did the I did a year, and then Leeds came came back again. I just I couldn't turn them down again. Mm. I couldn't I couldn't say no, and I had a feeling that way he knew something about the deal that was coming and, and there was an opportunity for them to get some transfer money. And uh, I ended up joining Leeds and and having some of the greatest times of my life there as well. Yeah, mate, stellar cast. I've had a few of the boys on, like Barry McDermott, Kevin Sinfield, yeah. just stellar blokes. I could only imagine what these guys were like in the dressing room. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... The expectations, but hadn't quite delivered. Hadn't been able to deliver on the promises that they've made. And you look at some of the players that have played there in the past, and they spent a lot of money on Gary Schofield, Ellery Hanley, mm. Kevin Iro, um, Bobby Goulding played there, uh, all in the hope of trying to win stuff, but they never quite did it. And it wasn't until they invested money in and the youth structure and the junior system. Walker, uh, Mark Holdwood, Danny Maguire, Rob Burrow, mm. Danny Ward, Matt Diskin. You know, they became the nucleus of the successful squad. They would go, they would, you know, would go on to, to win a lot of silverware. And I, I joined them at the right time. I joined them at a time as a senior player to help nurture these young guys and bring them through. So, yeah, it was, it was a great time to join the club. You felt a different pressure. Yeah. There's a massive amount of pressure as opposed to when I played for Wakey. Yeah, huge, huge amount of pressure. But, yeah, I liked it. I liked, I liked being in that environment. There was an expectation and an aspiration to be successful. Yeah. As far as winning the trophies, not just, you know, going out and playing your best, which was what we tried to do as well. But, yeah, we wanted some – we wanted some rings on our fingers and some medals. Yeah. Before we continue about footy, one name you mentioned there, Rob Burrow. You know, yep. we all know what's happened to him at the the end of last year, but pound for pound, is he the toughest player you've ever played with? Easy. Pound for pound, the toughest, pound for pound, the strongest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tough. Tough talking about Rob, but um, yeah, what amazing, an amazing athlete to go on and achieve what he did for his stature in our game. Mm. You know, to play internationals and to have the career that he had says a lot about him as a as the bloke and you know, as an athlete. He could have been a great footballer as well. He could have played football professionally, but he, he chose to take the tough path and, and play rugby league and it's no coincidence he had the success that he had Definitely. on the field because of the way he worked and the way he applied himself. Um, the most nervous bloke I ever played with before games. Um, one of the funniest blokes. Always, he he was always fidgety, always nervous, Rob. Always, always edgy. And I remember the two thousand four grand final. We're sitting on the bench, ready to go and kick off. <laughs> Just before this, we walked out 
walk out of the tunnel and I look up to the grandstand and I see my wife and the boys and I give them a wave. Yeah. And somebody gives me a nudge and says, you better be on here. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And go back and sit down on the bench and we just take our seats and Rob's like, are you nervous? Are you nervous? Are you nervous? Willie, you nervous? I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't, I am now. <laughs> and that's how it was. That was all the energy that he had. But it was like that every single week and that's what made him tick and what made it work and, you know, we all wish him the best with the fight that he has and yep. you know, we're all fighting with him and, you know, it's heartbreaking what he's going through at the moment for himself, Lindsay, and, and their beautiful kids. And as I said, um, one of the things that's been great to see is how our game has come together, mm. how it's brought our, our game together and some of the gestures from clubs and Wigan doing what they did last yep. week with their embroidery on their jerseys. Jesse, yep. You know, people who you don't normally hear coming out and doing fundraising for Rob and his family has been fantastic to see. But, yeah, we're, we're fighting hard with the, with the little man. Yeah, well said, mate. Now, you know, you spoke briefly about, you know, coming out of that tunnel. This is Old Trafford we're talking about, right? Did you, mate, is, was that the biggest stadium, the biggest crowd, the biggest atmosphere that you'd ever seen before? No. What was bigger? The year before. It was 2004. The year before, 2003, Millennium Stadium. Oh, for the Challenge Cup, yeah. Challenge Cup final against Bradford. Um, you walk out the tunnel, you come out and you can't see the crowd and it just hits you. Wow. There's was, 70 odd thousand people, and it's. Was the roof shut? The roof closed. Yeah, yeah. The roof's closed, and, and you're like, wow, this is a cauldron. <laughs> this is this is going to be something else. And I, I was playing against my best mate. We'd both flown our dads over. Yeah. So, yeah, it was going to be special, but yeah, that was probably, as far as daunting, I suppose, that was. Enveloping that crowd, just being in the end, probably the roof as well, and it, and it put me in good good stead for when we went to Old Trafford. I was able to handle that moment a lot better. Yep. So because it was open, I don't think there was many, as many people as Mar- as Millennium Stadium as Cardiff, but it was just it was probably louder though. Yeah. Grand final was loud, really loud. Yeah. Well, we know you you just mentioned obviously playing against your best mate, which is Joe. Would you guys yeah. g each other up in the week? Leading, we wouldn't really talk. Oh, just silent. Yeah, we'd, if we, the girls might talk, or we might talk about the kids, or we yeah. might need something off each other, and but we wouldn't really talk footy. No, we wouldn't really talk footy. Some of the other boys, I would. Yeah, did you live close to I'm each like, other? He was in Bradford, so about twenty-five minutes away. Okay, and. I might chuck a text to Leslie Vonacolo and tease them a little bit. They're coming <laughs> after you and all that sort of stuff. But no, me and Joe, we sort of left things like that. And no, we didn't really have that sort of banter. Okay. Um, leading up to games, we'll see each other. When the anthems were playing, we were lined up opposite each other. We'd chuck each other a wink and all the best. And that was it. And I grabbed them straight after the game and told them they cheated. <laughs> What's the mate? What's the strategy when you got someone as big as Joe? Is it where? Where are you hitting him? Uh, well, 
close your eyes and hope for the best sometimes. <laughs> yeah, well, if you tried to jump and take him up top, he had his big forearm out. Yeah. And try and go low, he couldn't get around those tree trunks. So, I mean, if you just let him go past you a little bit and then pull him back and pull him down. And, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was a tough man to tackle. Devastating. It was like that from when we were kids. Yeah. And probably more so when we were younger when he was really quick. But, um, yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen some people try, put on a shot and come off second best, <laughs> so I knew not to do that. Definitely, mate, definitely. So, mate, how did it make you feel when you when you cracked it for a premiership? You know, yep. it was a long journey. Mm-hmm. But what's the satisfaction like when you're finally, like, raising that trophy? I'm, I'm a big fan of American sports. Yep. Who's your I'd team? always watch. Yep. I'm a Lakers fan. Yep, same. Uh, I'm a Niners fan. I'm a Saints fan. And I'm an Oakland A's fan. Beautiful. So I uh, I watched a lot of the players. And the one that sticks out of my mind was, and I'm not putting my shoes at all, but Patrick Ewing, who okay. played for years and years and never won. Um, Charles Barkley, those sort of people. And when I was in that position at Wake, I thought, well, this is my lot. Yep. I might never get that opportunity. And, you know, we're having a pretty good run. And then I went to Cardiff and played at Cardiff. And I, I loved being in the final and the atmosphere. And I just wanted to go one better. I wanted to feel the success and, and, and win in that environment. So to win at Old Trafford was awesome for a number of reasons. The team that we had, yep. the season that we had, going back to pre-season and the prep that we'd put in, it felt fitting for that group and what we'd been through. We'd been the best team by far all year. We'd lost to Bradford in the playoff and had to beat Wigan to get to the grand final. Mm. And then to finally get one over Bradford, who the year before we played about six or seven, eight hundred times and never beat him. To do that in at the big stage and for the club who had not had any success in as far as winning the championship for 32 years, I think. Yeah. There's was, was so many things that went into it. And then on a personal level, was, yeah, I've got something. Beautiful. Mate, are they the biggest well, – is, is Bradford at that time, are they the biggest rivals for Leeds? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were, they were massive. The Leeds-Bradford derbies were huge. Was, you know, they, they were like grand finals in themselves. Like I say, we we played them one year five times, I think five or six times before the playoffs. Mm. And we'd get them in the cup and we'd play them a couple of times in the league and then we'd play them in the playoffs and – so it became ridiculous. And we could never get them the year before. We just couldn't get them over. So to do it a couple of times in 2004 and then to do it on the big stage was, was huge. But, yeah, the rivalry, the, the derby, was almost like nothing I've seen. The whole the whole derby is, is huge. Being involved in, in that is something, you know, to witness and be part of because that is – Talk about wakey Cass, yeah. But the two whole teams that that is that affects whole 
for two weeks, the week leading oh, up yeah, and the yeah. week after that. Yep. You know, the bragging rights live on and you just want to have that success. But in those days, because we were so close to each other at the top with Bradford, um, Odsall was a sellout, Headingley was a sellout. We drive, I remember driving to to Bradford on the way to the game, to Odsall, and there'd be people walking on the motorway. Mate, that ground you know, looked scary. Up. Was it scary? Yeah, it looked, yeah. The way it was all designed, it was bloody scary, just even watching it on TV. I can only imagine yeah. with the fogs there and stuff like that, what it's like actually <laughs> having to play there. Yeah. Um, those fans loved it. You know, it's sad to see Bradford in the position that it's in today and where they're fighting just to exist. Um, it's sad from when I look back at not so long ago, um, those derbies that we used to have. And, but, yeah, they were, they were the games you loved to play in. Yeah. Mate, what was Henningley like? Because you look at it today and after it's all, it's upgraded the last couple of years. Looks absolutely sensational, but I knew I know it was a big home ground advantage for you guys back in the day. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I hated it as a as a visitor. Yeah, as a part of the opposing team, when you had to run out of the north stand and you ran straight across, looking at the at the south stand, and the drums are going, and the trumpets are playing, and the whole stand is singing and it's loud. And jeez, oh, we could be in for a long day here and. You know, if you drop the ball or miss the tackle, they're right on top of you. And you know, they're knowledgeable fans and they know the game. So it's a lot better having it on your side. So when I was to play there, and, and I was very fortunate that we had a great team and success in my time. Yeah. So the fans were always on our side. And, and yeah, they, they can play a big part. They, in this country in particular, they can play a big part and teams having success or not. You know, they're almost the eighteenth man. So yeah, they but Leeds being the club that they are, they just put on a great show and mm. it's no coincidence. They average the most crowd. One, because they're ever evolving, like you say, the stadium is first class now. Looks unreal. Yeah. Amazing facility now. now they spent something like forty million on on doing it up but you know, the crowd itself and the numbers that they get and the show that they put on. Yeah. All right, Willie, last topic. Now, it's a really hard decision for most people to know when to retire. Now, you know, you spoke a little bit before about, you know, the influence of your dad in coaching and things like that. But in terms of knowing when it's time to retire and then thinking about something else that you want to pursue, at what stage did that start, those thoughts start coming in your head? We flew home from uh, Catalan in 2006. I want to say June. It was mid-season, some, and I remember sitting next to Tony Smith on the plane. Mm. I just started talking to him about coaching, and uh, we talked for a while. And I just wanted to carry on the conversation. I thought, I don't want to go down that route. Mm. I think I want to coach. Um, we had negotiated or we're in the process of talking about another year of playing. But mentally, I wasn't present as far as training and turning up 
I got to a point where not long after that, that chat and that trip to France where it was getting hard to wake up in the mornings, find the motivation to drive to training. Yep. And I always used to, we had a bench, the bench at Leeds, where me and Marcus Boy used to sit on after training. Yep. And Marcus had gone, but some of the other guys used to sit there. And I stopped sitting there. I just used to get off, get changed and go home. And I just thought, speaking to my wife, I said, I think I'm done here. I said, I think I've lost the love. Yeah. Or I'm losing it. I said, I don't want to. I said, I don't want to, but I just don't have that drive anymore. Yep. And fortunately for me, um, Tony Smith came to me and said, look, I'd like you to think about coaching the under-21s next year. That was it. That was me done in my head as far as playing was concerned. Mm. Um, about two weeks later, I did my knee against Wakey, and that was my last ever game or my last Super League game. Uh, I had an op, and it was worse than what the doctor thought when he first went in. He came, and I remember waking up at the op, and he said, you know, you're going to be eight weeks, nine weeks which would have taken me. Had I returned to water, come back for the grand final, had we made it. Okay. But the plant was, wasn't just seed. Wasn't just, the seed wasn't just planted. It was growing in my head that I was done then. Yeah. And I was comfortable. I was comfortable in, in being retired. And um, I'm very grateful to, because my, my career finished that way, Gary Hetherington and, Tony Smith allowed me to play in the Boxing Day game. Okay, that we played against Wakey yep. as a farewell. Yep. So that was that was my last run out. I was able to prepare that morning for my last game, go through the routine one more time, get strapped, finish the game, and do my farewells. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I was more than ready in my head to be done. Yeah. Um, the knees were shot, but it was in my head that I was I was ready to go. And I feel for players that that finish and have regrets that they had done it too soon. Mm. A lot of players, you know, from here they go back home for whatever reason. Think, Man, I wish I played one more year. I've I've never had that. I've never had that. And I question myself whether part of that is I'm still in the inner sanctum because I'm still in the dressing room, yep. because I'm still around the environment, because I'm still amongst some of the crack with the players. If that's eased my my craving to be to have it, if you like that, because that's what players miss. Players miss yeah. being around the each boys, other. Yeah. The boys, yeah. Some crazy ones miss waking up sore and miss being sore. <laughs> most of, most of us miss that, <clears throat> not having the laughs and having the banter. And so I still have a little bit of that. Mm. I still have some of that to an extent. So I wonder if if that's eased my my retirement. But yeah, I put most of it down to in my head. I was ready. I was. I know. I was happy with. I'm more than proud of what I achieved 
I'm more than proud of the career that I had. You know, there were there were reasons and circumstances for some of the moves. There were court cases won and lost along the way yep. um, for competitions. Um, I had to move and I made sacrifices. And my wife has made the biggest sacrifice of all, sticking with me and coming with us and allowing us to be here for 23 years. Yep. Our boys have had a great life. Um, the game has allowed me to provide for my family like I probably wouldn't have been able to in any other walk of life. Um and to be able to coach and, and give back to the game gives me nothing but pride and, and joy, and I'm still able to do that. So, yeah, I, I love the game for what it's what it's given me, and I have no regrets to, or want to take any more or wish that I'd taken any more. Yeah. Mate, I am still very impressed that you still get your Kiwi slash Australian accent. I've got to ask, <laughs> does your two boys have English accents? Three boys. Three, Three boys, boys sorry. Yeah. All of them English uh, accents? Well, one of one of our boys moved back to New Zealand about three years ago. Okay. So he's got is, a little bit of a hybrid. Is he the eldest? But he won't, he's the middle one. Okay. He's the middle one. He just uh, turned twenty two yesterday. Yep. He he's uh, he was never really broad. He's a He's a bit of an intellect, okay. so he was a bit more posh and a bit more refined. In his <laughs> but he, he's got a little bit of a Kiwi slang now um, that he's been there for a little bit, but the other two, yeah, they're quite broad, especially the youngest one. Yeah. He's 18. You put a little bit of shit yeah. on him for being English people? Uh, no. No banter? They've never they've never called themselves English. Yeah, okay. But do, never, do they get never. a passport? Is that what – do they get a – they were born there, the youngest yeah. One does. yeah. Yeah, the youngest one does because he was born here. Uh, the, the oldest one was born in Newcastle, middle one born in Townsville. There you go. So they've all got Aussie passports, but the youngest one can get a British one. But, yeah, um, I'm, I'm more than proud of the life that this country and this little city of Wakefield has been able to give us. I originally signed here for two years. Yep. And Brought you the journey, remember, right? Yeah. Um, the first year was uh, when they had the opening game at Homebush. Yep. Before the Olympics, they had the doubleheader. Yeah, doubleheader, yeah. And it was beautiful. The weather was outstanding and there were people in the crowd with no shirts on. And I, I said to my wife, I said, look, we're doing two years and then we're going. We're going back. <laughs> we're doing two years because we're stuck in the middle of winter. But things things kept on and now we've seasons rolling to one another and it's become more about the kids than than us now and, and, the, and the roots that they've set down. But we've got ambitions to come home at one day. Yeah. One stage we'll come home. But, yeah, and I'm very, very grateful for Rugby League and what it's been able to give me. For sure. Well, what what's the drive between Wakey and Hull? Uh, just over an hour to, to East Hull. Okay. So during a normal season, you'd actually do it either way, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd go there every day. Um, well, during the normal season here, five times a week, there and back, a couple of hours. And yeah, I did the same, probably a little bit longer to Warrington when yep. I was there. Then there was Salford, which was another hour going that way. So it's all the same motorway. It's the M62 okay. corridor. So it's yep. the same motorway, and I, I know it pretty well now. Yeah. You know, you talked about the rivalries before. The whole KR versus Hull FC, that's huge too, right? That's massive. Yeah. That, yeah, and I didn't realise how big it was. And, um, 
families are divided. You're either black and white or red and white. Yep. And yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy time to be there during the derby. <laughs> I can imagine. You know, during that week. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's huge. It's good for the game. It's really good for the game. Yeah, for sure. We need those rivalries. I think that's kind of what sure. the NRL really, that's why they shouldn't get rid of the Sydney teams. I think that's what makes the beauty of the NRL is the fact that they yeah. do have, what is it, yeah, no, nine or ten teams. So. It's too easy to say get rid of them. It's too easy to do that. Let's, let's work on making it work. Yeah, make it better. That's what yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Now, a couple of rapid-fire ones just to finish you off. Yep. Now, you played with so many good players during your career. Was there someone that you played against that you wish you got to play with? Andrew Johns. Yeah. Andrew Johns. I signed for Newcastle when I was 17. Did you? I went there for two weeks. Yeah. There was myself, a guy called Brian Lamatia, and uh, another guy a, called Tana Umang. Was a winger? And Tana. Tana Umang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, there were five of us. There was another guy, and there was Tony Kemp's brother, Joe Kemp, I think his name was. Okay. But yeah, Tana came across with us. We had all signed together. Was Tana good at league? Yeah, he played junior Kiwis with us. Okay. I played. We played two years together. Yeah, I know myself and um, yeah, talented. He would have played for the Kiwis. He, um, so we went to Newcastle. and I remember going there and they were raving about these 16, 15 year old brothers, these two halfbacks playing in the twenty ones, and yeah, yeah, they were going. And, to be the legends that are the Johns boys. There you so, go. Yeah, Andrew Johns. You know, would have loved to have played with him. He's just, he's just such a competitor. A talent, no doubt. Yeah. But a competitor. Played against him, and every time I played against him, it's like, mate, you're strong. You just won't get beaten. You just can't put one over him. So I would have loved to have been able to play with him and work with him. Yeah. What about? You know what, I'll take the Super League away because I think that's unfair to ask you that question, but is there a player in the NRL that you see now that you would have liked to have played with? Uh, we're talking about someone who I admire. and No, just someone that, it. yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Just something, just say, for example, you pick out, I would have liked Tedesco. to play with, yeah, Tedesco or Sean Johnson, something, yeah. So, Tedesco. Yeah, Teddy. Because I was a ball player and I liked to offload. I reckon I would have loved to have someone like him running off me somewhere. Oh, for sure, because he'll be scoring on the meat pies and he'll have to shout, just, your, shout your beers all night. probably read play before I knew I was going to pass the ball. Yeah. He just seems that guy with powers of anticipation and the ability to read the game that he's one step ahead of everyone. He just puts himself in such awesome positions. Mate, when he scored, he scored this try last week when they played the Broncos. And he ran a line in the they kept they pushed the ball right with Flanagan. Yeah. And he was coming up the center of the field. But it's like like you just said, he anticipated so far ahead that by the time Flanagan hit the outside player, he was already ten meters above uh, in front of him because he knew that they were going to yeah. come through. And then the center gives it back to Flanagan, who gives it back to him straight under sticks. Like yeah. it was amazing how far ahead of the play he was. That's right. And I, I talk to players now when I when I talk about support play. I talk about Terry Lamb. Mm. I still do. 
and his ability to read the game and just run straight and run forward. Um, pass them all, run straight. If a break happens, it'll find you. But he's got speed. He's got the read. He's got the power. And you know, he's, I say, I'd like to be able to pass the ball and offload to him. But even if he gets a dodgy pass, he turns it into something. <laughs> yeah, he does, yeah. I mean, he just his swerve and his fend and step back and runs around people. So even if I was going to give him a, a crap ball, probably turn it into something, make me look right. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <probably> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, Willie, final question. Now, it's just my dinner party question. You got five invites to a private dinner party, but only rules no family or friends, but you can invite yep. anyone dead or alive. Who would you like to yep. invite to dinner? Uh Nelson Mandela. Yep. Barack Obama. Uh, Phil Jackson. Yep. You must have liked the you must have liked the last dance, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Bill Walsh. Uh, Magic Johnson. Beautiful. Man, I'm I'm glad we finally I go for the Lakers as well. And I'm I'm glad we're starting to win again. Like I was worried there. Oh, for, yeah. I was worried there for a little while in the bubble. I didn't realize 2012 was the last time we won a series in the playoffs. Yep. So man, it's been that long. It's been a long time between drinks, mate. Kobe's left us yeah. a long time ago, and that dynasty yeah, left well, again. And it's good to see LeBron. Yeah, we've had some. Uh, had some uh, Mike D'Antoni and. Mike Brown, no, but he's done all right. He's done all right, the new coach, his first season, but he's got some good arm. You know, look at when you're able to bring Dwight Howard off the bench yeah. for JaVale McGee, saying something about the depth of your squad. Remember when he was? He was an absolute, remember he was playing for Orlando when he was an absolute powerhouse, mate? He used to be the best yeah. centre in the league. Yeah. But it's good to see them Just getting back up there for sure. Trying to see who we play in the next round. Yeah. I'm glad we got through because the Blazers are good with Lillard at point guard and no, Carmelo yeah. Anthony was back to his best. Yeah. It was good to see Carmelo back because apart from that next wave, like when Dwayne Wade and LeBron James all came through together, like he was my favourite. Like Carmelo used to be able to put it on the floor, man. Like yeah. he's the guy I liked watching. No. Yeah, it's a, hopefully uh, it'll be a good finish. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks so much for stopping by the podcast, Thank man. You. An absolute blast, man. All the best for the rest of the season. Hope to see how KR continue to do well, mate. So I'll be watching. I'll watch plenty of Super Leagues. So I'll be watching for you, mate. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having us. Awesome, mate. Well, I'll let you know when it's out, man. But thanks again for your time, man. Really appreciate it, brother. No Thank you, mate. It's been my pleasure. All right, mate. Cheers, pal. I'll talk to you soon.